Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Bears. As always, I am your host, Lauren Cox, from Pro Football Focus and USA Today's BearsWire.com, and I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears talk on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Every Tuesday during the season here on Locked On Bears is our film review of the previous game, looking back at the coach's film, the all-22 angle of how the Chicago Bears played. And boy, you know, in this game, heading into this film, I just, um, the, my desire to turn this on and rewatch the Bears' loss to the Eagles was just really, really low. And so you're welcome. Let me just say that in advance. You're welcome. I sat through it. I went through it, and uh, I've found some takeaways here to try and make some sense of what happened on the field on Sunday, but man, it just kind of feels like we're getting to the what's the point portion of the Chicago Bears season. It's like, man, three and eight. Now, you know, no one's looking really at the rest of this season. It's all about what's next, but there's still reasons to watch this Bears team, even with a head coach who's on his way out even with a, a coaching staff that's likely going to be cleaned out. You know, there, there, there are reasons to watch this team, good and bad, and, and we're definitely going to try and find some real positives in this Bears team today. You know, Lockdown Bears is not a fanboy podcast, but this is a football podcast, so we're going to always take an objective look at the Chicago Bears. We'll touch on a few of the negatives first because... There were so many of them. I, I won't get too bogged down in it, though, because we'll swing around. Second half of the show today, we will hit the positives. In a lot of these film room podcasts, I end up talking a lot about offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins and some of his play calling in the game. And actually, in this game, I didn't hate the early play calling, you know, the, the first couple quarters. You know, once you kind of get to the second half, a lot of stuff goes out the window, and I'm not... I'm not going to get too bogged down on how, you know, Dowell Loggins called plays down 31-3, to but early on in this game, you know, there were a few plays where you're like, well, uh, I don't know about that one. Let's, let's, let's maybe put that one back on the drawing board. But, man, it, it didn't, at times it didn't seem to matter too much what the play call was because, man, the Bears' offensive line was just terrible, dominated by the Eagles' defensive line really looked like a poorly coached team because this is an offensive line that has much more talent than what they look like against the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, this you know, Kyle Long making mistakes. Josh Sitton, before he got hurt, he was making mistakes. I mean, talented players on this offensive line, particularly in that running game, just didn't look anywhere near as good as they should based on the talent that, to me, looks at coaching. You know, this isn't a 2010-2011 Bears offensive line where you have Frank Omiel and Jamarcus Webb at offensive tackle, and it's like, okay, there's only so much a, a good offensive line coach could do, not to say anything about Mike Tice, but just, you know, some Bears offensive lines, when they're bad, they don't have talented players, and that's a big part of the problem. But the Chicago Bears have two Pro Bowl caliber guards, a young, you know, center who has played better in the past and serviceable tackles and boy they played terribly on the offensive line in this game really let the Eagles defensive line set the tone and establish a much more physical game for their defense I think you combine the Bears offensive line 
with a lot of the penalties in the first half. And I think that's what killed this offense more than anything. You know, the play calling could have been better. Sure. I'm, I'm never going to be 100% satisfied with what Dowell Loggins quite calls out unless you're really seeing it fly. But when you have an offensive line not opening things up in the running game, you have uh, an Eagles defense that's taking advantage of every little mistake you make, and then you have penalties bringing you back. That's what killed this offense more than anything. That certainly reflects back on the coaching staff, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, purely from a play-calling standpoint, there was there were opportunities there in theory if you had an offensive line that blocked better and maybe fewer penalties to keep you behind the sticks. Grouped right in with that offensive line struggle for me was Adam Shaheen, who really made some poor blocks in this game. It seemed like his technique had kind of reverted and just has did not seem to know how to properly square up on an Eagles defender and at least hold a block. You know, you don't have to drive the guy five yards downfield into the turf for a pancake, but you just at least have to sort of keep him in that gap. And I think Shaheen, you know, blocking for him is still a work in progress. It was a big work in progress coming out of Division Two Ashland. And I think you saw last week, you know, when you play a bad defensive line of the Detroit Eagles, just not a very talented group, he can get away with maybe sloppier technique because he's a big, strong tight end. But you come into Philadelphia against one of the strongest, if not the strongest, four-man defensive lines in the NFL, Adam Shaheen was not going to get away with poor technique, and there were quite a few plays where the Eagles just whooped him. And I wonder if that's why we saw Shaheen play not nearly as many snaps as Deion Sims and Daniel Brown in the game. Seems like maybe that could have been a a rookie benching type situation, not necessarily formally benched, but just Adam Shaheen struggling as a blocker in the game, then not getting as much playing time as a result. Now, at the same time, I felt like this Bears offensive line and, you know, throw Shaheen in there as well in terms of run blockers, they weren't really put into a lot of great situations. And this is where Dowell Loggins comes back as the negative for me. Not as much the play calling per se, but personnel usage has always been, I think, the biggest issue with this offense. You know, the Eagles, this was a team that was absolutely selling out against the run in those first two quarters, not to prevent or to prevent the Bears from getting a running game. I mean, they look like they were run blitzing on a lot of those situations where the ball is snapped and the linebackers all take two, three, four, five steps up to the line of scrimmage, getting right up there among the defensive linemen. And clearly it was a designed effort for the running game because all game, you know, you get through all, what, 37 dropbacks that Mitchell Trubisky had. The Philadelphia Eagles blitzed him on two passing plays, according to our friends at Pro Football Focus, two passing plays. And yet in the first half, boy, they were bringing the heat after running game. You saw defensive backs coming in, linebackers getting right up to the line of scrimmage. And it seemed like the Eagles kind of knew what was coming. They knew when passing plays were coming and when rushing plays were coming. Because you know what? You get two tight ends up on the line of scrimmage, Mitchell Trubisky under center, and a fullback in the game. The Eagles know nine times out of ten the Bears are, are running the ball there. So their linebackers keyed in on it. And their defensive line knew that the run play was coming. And it was easier for them to attack upfield and meet Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen in the backfield. And to me... 
That goes on offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins. You know, if you're going to run the ball, maybe try running out of some spread looks or run some more play action with two tight ends and a fullback in the game. You know, do different things to, to get the Eagles from understanding where the ball is going to be and, and taking advantage of that. It just seemed like offense was predictable in that sense. But the play calls themselves, you know, separate from the the personnel on the field, were not terrible, but can't let the Eagles defense have such an easy feel for whether you're running or passing. In similar vein, you know, the, the Eagles on some third downs there, they were jumping the snap count where, you know, Cody Whitehair does the same kind of thing where puts his hand down, puts his head down, looks back at Mitchell Trubisky, snaps the ball as his head is coming up. And a few times, you know, the likes of Brandon Graham and Chris Long on the edge, they were jumping faster than Bobby Massey and Charles Leno at tackle, didn't make their jobs any easier in that department. And, and, and on top of that, you know, a Mitchell Trubisky, he's a guy that has a tendency to drift too much in the pocket, you know, where he'll, he'll drop back, and at the end of his drop back, he'll start to just take baby steps left or right. And what that does is it changes the point of leverage for his offensive lineman. You know, Charles Leno, when he's blocking the blind side, he, he obviously can't see where Mitchell Trubisky is. He's looking forward at the guy pass rushing him. So he has to assume generally where Mitchell Trubisky is behind him. And there's sort of this, you know, this circle of the pocket. You know, it's an arc at first, but it kind of goes all the way around a full circle. And you as a lineman sort of expect Mitchell Trubisky to be in the middle there. And so that's you have to keep your defender, you have to keep your own body in between your defender and the quarterback. But when that quarterback is not in the same spot that you think he will be because he drifts left, drifts right, or whatever, then all of a sudden you think you're putting your body in between the defender and the quarterback, but really the quarterback is in a different spot and you're no longer, you know, at a good leverage point to block the pass rusher and it's completely out of your control as an offensive lineman. So, you know, Mitchell Trubisky needs to do a better job in in this game and in, in moving forward of sort of knowing when he has to move and when he can stay in that spot and trust his offensive line and let the pocket move around him a little bit without having it fully disrupt his spot because he drifts even when the pressure isn't quite there. But the encouraging thing there is that at least, you know, Mitchell Trubisky seems to kind of know what he's involved in here, what he does wrong, and recognizing his own mistakes and, and getting better. You know, he talked about that kind of stuff after the game on Sunday. And on yesterday's episode of Lockdown Bears, I played his audio clip and I played John Fox's post-game press conference audio as well. If you haven't heard that one yet, make sure you go back and listen. And also make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast listening app you're using right now. Speaking of quarterbacks in the pocket, the Bears' pass rush against the Eagles was not necessarily where you want it to be. And it wasn't what I would call a terrible performance because I think the Eagles' offense makes it difficult to consistently pressure Carson Wentz because they feature a lot of those kind of quick throws. Take the ball out of the quarterback's hand and your offensive line doesn't have to pass protect for a long time and your quarterback generally gets into a rhythm and is able to move the ball effectively and avoid being under pressure. You know, when Wentz did hold onto it, I thought the Bears' defense generally got an okay amount of pressure. Not a not a great performance, but not terrible either. Just sort of passable, if, or maybe perhaps subpar, serviceable amount of pressure. 
you know, as much as that means in a 31-3 to blowout. But specifically, I, I was left still wanting a little bit more from Akeem Hicks. You know, it was a tough matchup for him playing a lot on that left side against, you know, Lane Johnson at right tackle and, and Brandon Brooks, their right guard. They've got some really talented offensive linemen in Philadelphia. And so I understand that it's not easy for an Akeem Hicks, you know, to make him have a big breakout type game against this Eagles offensive line. But, you know, he's been playing like a pro bowler in previous weeks. And I would like to see a Pro Bowl caliber defensive end step up in the biggest game of the year, or excuse me, the most difficult game of the year, the best offensive line he has faced, and have a better performance than he did. I'm not going to kill him for it. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was it was tough. But you just, you hold him perhaps to a little bit of a higher standard, and perhaps that higher standard was not quite met. I think I wanted to hold Eddie Jackson to a little bit of a higher standard too, just based on previous performances this season, playing so well for a rookie. But man, he comes into this game and really looks like a rookie. Like the, the mistakes were frequent. He was out of place a few different times, kind of coming underneath in coverage. There was that screen pass touchdown where he came down to the slot and just completely over-pursued to the inside, let the guy get outside and run up the sideline and get into the end zone. I mean, just not a strong game from him. Missed a couple tackles. There was a bad one on, I think, LeGarrette Blunt on a run up the middle that went for like 30 yards or whatever. It just felt like at times you know, when he's squaring up, he's thinking a little bit too much instead of reacting. He's waiting for the guy to make the move. He, he's he, he's not getting after. He's not aggressive and maybe not quite confident. I and mean, I'm not going to speculate too strongly there. But one way or another, Eddie Jackson just wasn't or at least didn't look like his usual self. You know, He had that one play where Carson Wentz was rolling out to the right and Jackson was coming down to cover in the middle of the field and followed him right and undercut the route and got two hands on what should have been an interception and could have been potentially an inter- a pick six. I'm not quite looking at the all 22. I don't think he would have made it, but it's Eddie Jackson. So when he gets the ball in his hands, he's always got a shot, but he didn't get the ball in his hands. And that was sort of a, a re- sort of spoke to his general performance, not the Eddie Jackson that we've been used to for the last few weeks. It was definitely not the Bears defense that we're necessarily used to, but I didn't think as a whole, you know, it was like this god-awful performance. You know, giving up 31 to the Philadelphia Eagles isn't the end of the world here, especially when their offense, you know, doesn't get a first down in the first half and really puts, you know, puts up three points and showed very few signs of offense. You know, it wasn't a good defensive performance by any means, but it wasn't as though the Bears had seven guys screwing up every play where you know, three guys are getting blown out of the water and four missed tackles and the Eagles are scoring at will. You know, it w- wasn't quite like that. You know, I feel like in the NFL, all it really takes is one guy to make a mistake on a play, you know, especially in like run defense in this game, whether it was, uh, you know, a defensive lineman not holding his gap. Maybe Mitch Unrein got blocked over a little bit too far and that was the crease for LeGarrette Blunt to get free. Or maybe it was a linebacker not stepping up and filling or, or, overrunning too, too far of a gap and then getting blocked by the Eagles center at the second level, and that frees up the running back for eight yards. Or maybe it was Eddie Jackson coming down and missing a tackle or other defensive backs not wrapping up consistently, whatever it was. It seemed like it was always just one or two guys making a mistake, and when you play a football team as consistent as the Philadelphia Eagles are right now, that's not that's just not going to work. You know, When a team is playing that well that the Eagles were, Every single mistake the Bears made 
were going to be magnified, and that was definitely the case. But, you know, like we talked about on Monday's podcast, the Bears didn't need to win this game. You know, no one came in thinking the Chicago Bears were going to win, and, and therefore no one should be too disappointed in the result on the scoreboard. But what they needed to do was play consistently and, and not be sloppy and unprepared. And that was certainly not the case. The Bears had so many penalties, dumb personnel mistakes, little things defensively where guys aren't in the right position. And just as a whole, it looked like a poorly coached team. And man, bad coaching now just seems to be a staple of the Lockdown Bears podcast. Not everyone was sloppy, though. You know, let's take a minute now here and, and get to some of the positives in the game so maybe we can feel at least a little bit better about what we watched on Sunday. You know, I, admittedly here, it is, you know, it's, it's not easy to find a lot of, of real positives to take away from the offense, but individually, you know, I thought on the offensive line, Cody Whitehair played pretty well at the center position. In my opinion, he was the best of the five, well, six offensive linemen that play in the game. And that sixth guy, Bradley Soule, he came in for Josh Sitton at left guard. Didn't think he was particularly, you know, god-awful. I wouldn't say Bradley Soule was good in the game, but we've seen him play very poorly in the past. And considering the defensive line he was going up against, it could have been a lot worse with that backup left guard in there. And, and he did he did a decent job, and I guess I will count that as a positive Another one, I guess, I don't know if you want to count this one as a positive, but, you know, the fullback, Michael Burton, he played only two snaps in the game. I think that's a little bit of progress. You know, he has not made a positive impact when he is on the field and largely signifies to the defense that the Bears are running the ball. And so I guess it's a good thing, in my opinion, that he only played two snaps. I think that was largely because the Bears passed the ball, you know, 35 times or whatever it was, and so they weren't, you know, and handed the ball off like 12 or whatever. So they weren't in a lot of these run situations, bring a fullback in and, and do too much of that two backfield stuff. A lot of times they were spreading it out a little bit more and not getting Burton involved, which I guess I will say is a good thing. But I, I think that does say a lot about sort of how we're looking at this Bears offense. There's just, in, in a game like this, there's just not a lot to take away from a positive standpoint. But I think the defense had a little bit more to like. You know, on the interior, I thought Eddie Goldman held up pretty darn well. You know, the, again, the Eagles offensive line, very talented. But Goldman played a lot of snaps and, and still was able to get a pretty decent push against, you know, the likes of Jason Kelsey there. Didn't make a bunch of big plays in the backfield or anything, but it was pretty rare that you saw the play, you know, open up because Eddie Goldman got blocked out of his gap. You know, he, he was consistent. Maybe not special, but consistent. And in a game like this, that was definitely valuable. You know who else was surprisingly valuable in this game? Sam Acho, to me, really came to play. This was a guy that stepped up as a pass rusher, you know, up against sort of the weak link on the Eagles offensive line. Their left tackle, Halapuli Vati Vaitai. Say that one five times fast. And it looked like, to me, Sam Acho beat him a few different times in, in a few different ways. Hit him with the bull rush at one point, turned the corner on him. Just seemed to have his number a little bit in a, in a surprising push from a guy not known for his pass rushing. Sort of that consistent coverage guy slash run defender. But he was needed in you know after the absence of Leonard Floyd and really a banged up Pernell McPhee that's not doing much anymore. 
and Acho definitely stepped up the most when his number was called. And really put Crevan LeBlanc in that category too. You know, Bryce Callahan unable to go. Crevan LeBlanc goes for it in the slot. And really, I thought was pretty solid in coverage and stepped up and made some big stops, some big tackles on underneath throws to, you know, prevent potential increased first downs for this Philadelphia Eagles. And he was targeted a few times, but he was never really burned. And he'd give up the catch, but he'd wrap up and it'd be short of the sticks, not really allowing those big, deep, you know, completions downfield and I think it's a nice luxury here for the Bears they they really have two solid slot cornerbacks with LeBlanc and Callahan curious to see how the two of them continue to grow here as their young careers continue the growth of Adrian Amos has also been fun to watch and I thought he played relatively well you know there was that one touchdown against Zach Ertz in coverage where he got beat but I thought that was kind of the one bad play for him you know, nothing, nothing else was too egregious and made a couple of nice stops in the running game and stepped up. And he's just aggressive in the box, kind of like an extra linebacker in there at times, minus some strength, but maybe that mentality. And, you know, especially when Eddie Jackson isn't playing that well, Adrian Amos continued to play pretty decently, again, in a bad situation against a very talented offense. So, see, I mean, we found some positives here. Maybe we had to work a little bit harder to get them and to find them and it was was not necessarily a fun tape experience didn't when say I enjoyed that one as much as previous Bears game all 22 films you know and all losses aren't as exciting but down 31-3 that fourth quarter is a bit of a drag but you know we stuck through it and I appreciate everyone that sticks through locked on Bears here in this 3 and 8 season I do this for you guys, and it's always my pleasure to come on and talk Bears. Enjoy recording this podcast much more than I did watching the Bears film. Tomorrow's show will be another Draft Wednesday edition of Locked on Bears as part of the Play Draft app. We'll get another league started on there for this week that you guys can join in. You know, last week I ended up playing in two different leagues on the Draft app, and I finished first place in both of them, so... Tomorrow, I'll get one started, and I will challenge you, the Locked On Bears listeners, again to come on there and see if you can beat me in fantasy football, and we'll get you your free entry into real money tournaments with that LONFL promo code. And of course, in terms of Chicago Bears talk, I think tomorrow we will be talking about sort of the the idea of firing John Fox and who should be the potential interim head coach if that were to happen, whether that be Dowell Loggins or Vic Fangio, and we'll, we'll sort of make the case for one of those two gentlemen. I mean, really, what the Bears need right now, and what they need moving forward, is a coach who knows how to bear down. <laughs>